0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Kiasa Zaitz. In the upcoming few episodes, we will dive into the digital health space in Thailand, Vietnam and China. I spoke with Ruby Wang, health and life science consultant, former head of health for the UK government in China at the British Embassy in Beijing, about the Chinese market.
1: China, we've seen, like, do this leapfrogging concept in terms of payments, right? So they move from kind of a cash-based society into online payments straight away and skip credit cards. So I think that kind of model for tech definitely applies to the healthcare setting too. A lot of kind of rural regions are now able to access more care, hypothetically, because even though there aren't localised community centres, for example, in the mountains or where it's hard to access for doctors to reach patients and homes, um, they can log on via WeChat, the Chinese messaging app. There are lots of mini apps of hospitals and services, and hypothetically can access a doctor straight away at a click of their fingers. The the problem with that is most of these online services are still privatised, and so we see that... In the data, most of the patients accessing those online services, even though they're tutored to be more accessible for all of the population, most people accessing the services are kind of wealthy middle class living in the urban areas who access private consultations, mostly for convenience.
0: We will be diving into Vietnam with Beth-Ann Lopez, co-founder and CEO at Dokosan, a healthcare marketplace that aims to make it effortless for Vietnamese to access
2: healthcare and help them find a doctor who is available. Healthcare is difficult to access. There's not a lot of good information online, good, transparent, trustworthy information. Um, People are still using word of mouth to determine where you can go and where you can trust. Um, There's a lot of problems, too, um, in variations in quality of care. So there's, in, in Vietnam especially, there's some hospitals and clinics that are fantastic quality, and there are some that are not so great. And Kind of the only way that people know how to tell the difference between the two is is word of mouth and um uh yeah having lived here just seeing how tech savvy people are like how many youth there are how great the internet is here i mean you go out to the countryside you have like you know amazing 4g you come into the city it's it's it's, it's excellent um everyone has got like a super computer in their pocket yet the health system works like something out of you know like the the 1950s it was something that didn't make any sense and um, it seemed like it was only a matter of time before um, yeah, tech would be able to, to bring a big change to healthcare.
0: But our first stop will be Thailand, a country many expats have difficulty leaving once they've experienced it as a home base, says Farid Bijoli, general manager for Roche in Thailand and neighboring countries. In this discussion... Farid talked about the healthcare system situation in Thailand, the state of digital health technologies, what kind of solutions Roche is keeping an eye on, and more. Enjoy the discussion, and if you haven't yet, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. Additionally, check out our newsletter on fodh.substack.com. It's published on a roughly monthly basis. Now let's dive in today's discussion. hi, and thank you for joining this uh, discussion about uh, healthcare and healthcare digitalization in Asia. Maybe for a light start, you became the general manager for Roche in Thailand and neighboring uh, countries in 2019. So you've been there for four years. What are some of the reflections and observations that you have around healthcare in the country and the region?
3: Yeah, good afternoon, Chad. Thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast today. So, yeah, wow, I have been uh, nearly in Thailand for coming up to four years now. It's been amazing being here. So, I look after Thailand, Malaysia, Cambodia, and Laos. So, I have the privilege of looking after those four markets. And the healthcare system varies significantly across those different countries. But I think across Thailand and, and APAC specifically, we've seen a shift towards um, preventative care and wellness. Linked with the fact that more of a focus on non-communicable diseases specifically and prevention, and uh, so I think what you see in specifically in low-income and low-middle-income countries is a focus more towards disease awareness and prevention and investments in that in that area of healthcare. I think we've also seen some countries specifically try to leapfrog, so to really try to think about investing in innovation to try and get ahead. So. You know, for example, Thailand um, is, you know, shifted to 5G, which is remarkable, and that is really because it wants to drive a huge digital economy. And you know, if you come to Thailand, then the fintech, for example, is amazing. Um, even if I compare it to Europe, it's far far superior, far more advanced than, than, than Europe, I would say. And when you think about the consumer population from a digital perspective, then it's forecast to reach around about 370 million people across APAC back in 2022, an 80% of the total population. Uh, would be 15 year olds and above. So when we look at the penetration of things like mobile um, across Asia, you know, it's, it's significant. So, you know, you see this huge drive towards um, providing the public with, I guess, more tools to be preventative and to screen from a population health perspective. You see a huge digital economy uh, moving in its on its way as well in terms of infrastructure. And you see countries like Thailand since 2002, if you like, adopting a universal healthcare system, which is really successful and really celebrated throughout the region. But we don't get that level of universal healthcare coverage in other countries, such as Philippines, Indonesia, Myanmar. Laos, Cambodia. And therefore, I think what you do see across APAC um, and even within countries, which is something that I'm passionate about, is you do see huge inequalities that exist in healthcare. Now, for example, Thailand is, um, and Singapore are huge medical medical tourism hubs across the region. So, you know, you get the very wealthy medical tourists who can go and get fantastic care. And then you get obviously, I guess, the less fortunate people amongst this world who just can't even access you know, basic health care for free. And it's those health inequalities, I think, which we're kind of striving to try and address those gaps by working with governments around healthcare system shaping. But that's a reality. Yeah. If we look at, for example, Laos, we look at the number of staff in like qualified healthcare professionals per capita, it's really, really low. Mm-hmm. Again, similar in Cambodia. These are big issues that need addressing, of course.
0: So when you say that there's a visible shift towards uh, prevention and wellness and well-being, does that uh, mostly refer to the innovation? that's happening in the area and the private sector that's kind of developing? Or do you see that the government is actively investing in that because that's sometimes the challenge that startups face, like how will you get the reimbursement from insurance companies? And Thailand um, does attribute, as you said, very little to, to healthcare. It's just 4.2% of the GDP, according mm-hmm. to the WH uh, data from 2014. I have to say that it's it's pretty old data.
3: Yeah, you do. So I think I think in both. I think when we look at wellness and prevention, you know, if you were to come to um, Thailand, you would be able to have a wellness um, vacation, you know, and I think a lot of the big private hospitals such as Bumangrad, Megpat, Sumitave, um, Bangkok General, they're investing in wellness specifically, right? And they're trying to get consumers to come and invest in themselves in their own health. And we see a big, we see a big shift there. And I think when we look at the digital startups, a lot of the digital startups, like digital health community startups are centralized around that kind of wellness, whether that be trying to have apps that pull patients into those medical hospitals or follow up with them from an aftercare service or trying to simplify really targeted at a consumer that is far more affluent than arguably the general population. So we do see that. I think at a government level, on the back of COVID, um, I think we do see a greater investment in prevention. So for example, Thailand last year has basically provide access to free HPV screening for its women, for its women population, which is a big shift under its universal healthcare coverage. And we're actually trying to partner now with Thai government to try and expand access. So even though it's been able to provide, let's say, free access to HPV screening, the uptake is really slow and therefore we're trying to work around different solutions and educational solutions using different technologies such as cell swabbing. but we also want to try and get this shifted towards a digital at home offering Um, and i can talk about maybe that a little bit more later because that's really quite exciting so yeah we do with i think the demand driver is there from governments but also from the through the public as well in the um, private hospital networks.
0: You like to talk about uh, precision uh, medicine, so I was hoping you could put that in context for us. So how would you put it in context of Thailand? As you mentioned, 4.2% of the GDP goes to healthcare, uh, strong uh, medical tourism, at the same time worrying workforce uh, numbers, if I just name a few. There's 0.9 physicians per 1,000 people, Sweden, for example example, has 4.3. The US has 2.6. Nurses, 3.2. Nurses per 1,000 people in 2019. That's really, really uh, low compared to, for example, US, which has 15.7, according to the data from 2018, or Sweden uh, that has 12.6 per 1000 people. Obviously, you know, these are like just two extremes, I guess, to compare, but it gives us a little bit of an impression of how the healthcare system works. So how does personalized medicine fit into this picture? Of yeah. Thailand?
3: Maybe I can talk a little bit first, before I go to precision medicine, Jasha, maybe I can talk a little bit about the um, GDP spend on healthcare. So you mentioned, for example, the 2014 data, I think you said 4.2. The GDP spend on healthcare in Thailand has been flat around about 3.7% of its GDP for the last four or five years. Um, and we've seen very, very little growth in that. In fact, Thailand, Um, ranks behind majority of countries in APAC actually on its GDP spend per capita, yet it provides a universal healthcare coverage system. So we have to sometimes be careful around the correlation between spend on healthcare and and, and what you're able to deliver as a country. For example, you mentioned US, right? I think US spends 18% of its GDP on healthcare. That's some of the worst outcomes in maternity. Some say even
0: 20 or 23 by now
3: and it doesn't correlate with great outcomes. They've got some of the worst maternity outcomes in the world in America. So I think the spend on healthcare doesn't necessarily correlate all the time with outcomes. Now, more money definitely helps. It definitely helps provide access to more innovation, more training, education of doctors. And and you mentioned about understaffing in healthcare systems. And this is something that's really quite important because if you think about Thailand, then arguably I think it has maybe 10,000 nurses um, employed within the public healthcare system, um, covering a population of like, like 66 million people, and it's arguably not enough. But what Thailand does have, it has something called Osamor, has healthcare volunteers, so it has an infrastructure of thousands of public volunteers, which look after families, health from a prevention perspective and from a health awareness perspective and helps them navigate access, specifically in rural communities, helps them navigate access to doctors. So countries have a way of overcoming this. If we look at Laos, for example, and Cambodia, again, the number of doctors per head per population is really, really low. And then that kind of you know, asks the question, do we need a bigger workforce or do we just need a different way of being able to deliver and get access to educational content and for me this is where digital really plays a role in that you know traditionally we would think okay let's train more doctors let's train more nurses let's provide one doctor to every you know every few hundred patients but when we see the emergence of telehealth and you know we've seen them if anything has been a demand driver for telehealth then it's been covid then really now you're able to get access to physicians anywhere around a country so geographical boundaries traveling distances these no longer become an issue if you harness the right technologies. And therefore, the answer is, is can you provide greater access to services with, with less physicians? And I believe you possibly can. So it's surrounding what do you really invest in? Do you invest in training more doctors or do you invest in the infrastructure needed to get patients access to a doctor, which is really what you're trying to aim for? And if I, for example, and the best, one of the best examples of, of how digital innovation can help with this is, for example, If we look at Indonesia. So in Indonesia in the region, we have a project called Project ECHO, which is a global initiative around how can you shift knowledge and not people to areas of need. And what we do in Indonesia, we provide expertise, support from from India and from other countries to train virtually online through case studies doctors and nurses in Indonesia, specifically focusing on oncology and specifically also focusing breast cancer as well, because we're trying to upskill the physicians in Indonesia um, through the expertise we can provide digitally via Project Echo. And all that is, is it's just a digital mentoring platform. It's basically what you and I are doing now, just managing case studies. So it's very simple technology. But it's about harnessing that technology and then bringing stakeholders together to try, try and drive an upskilling in, um, in populations. And we hope to also be doing that in Cambodia in partnership with one of the top oncology centres in France as well. So there's sometimes there's very simple solutions which can make a huge, huge difference to society as well. So going on to your question then around personalised medicine, you know we Roche in 2021 we we released something called the Personalized Healthcare Index, which measured the readiness of 11 countries across APAC in terms of where they were around developing and implementing personalized healthcare. And personalized healthcare ranged around different domains. But Thailand was ranked seventh out of 11 locations. And, and arguably, interestingly, Thailand had the number one policy so it ranked number one for the best policy, but ranked seventh overall. So it links with that investment conversation we've just had, right? So if it was to increase its GDP capita in healthcare, maybe invest in its PhD policy, Thailand would have an amazing PhD approach, personalized healthcare approach. What we see when we when we think about PHC, the probably the most mature area is in oncology, where you can perform comprehensive genomic profiling tests to understand what is the genomic mutation of a of a certain tumor type of a certain cancer, and then being able to treat that with a targeted therapy to achieve a better outcome of a patient. And we see really good uptake in countries like Singapore, of course, Australia, Hong Kong, Taiwan. Um, but last year, we signed an agreement with the government to provide a knowledge transfer of how you could do CGP, comprehensive profiling locally. And we're hoping that that will then provide increased access, increased capability and knowledge for Thai physicians and Thai, Thai hospitals here. And the question is, is once you provide access to the diagnostics, can those people get access to the therapeutics as well? So. Personalized healthcare across the region is definitely developing and even countries now, when I look, such as Philippines, for example, in one of their major hospitals, are starting to use and access a lot of comprehensive genomic profiling. So this idea of personalized healthcare, specifically oncology, is happening in at least now in the lower income countries and and is pretty well established in the more affluent countries in our region.
0: You mentioned quite a few uh, projects and outlined uh, the environment that you operate in very nicely. But I do wonder if you could explain what's the mindset or strategic thinking that Roche has in terms of digital health investments and development in this specific region. So you worked in the UK before and in Iran, you're now in Thailand. So I imagine that the approach is different in each of the environments.
3: Yeah. So I think um, Roche as as an organization, as a global organization, we recognize that digital healthcare is here to stay and to disrupt. And actually linked with our global strategy of personalized healthcare, we really see that digital is an enabler for that. yeah. So it's not just about having great platforms to do genomic profiling, but can we personalize the patient experience through digital technology? And I would say across Asia, Rose has some great examples. So maybe if I can share some of the examples in Thailand. So you mentioned before that the number of, for example, doctors or nurses per head per population in Thailand was quite low. And what we see is how that plays out with patients is is that when we did some research in lung cancer, for example, one of the pain points for doctors and for patients was time. And when we dug a little bit deeper, doctors could provide a consultation just, but what they lacked was to really give some, let's say, a lot of bedside manner and a lot of educational information to the patient about their lung cancer. And patients themselves said, I just don't know where to go to get any more information about lung cancer. Yeah. And when I leave the doctor's office, you know, I have so many questions um, and I don't know where to get great answers. So what we did is we partnered with the Thai Lung Study Group in Thailand and we've developed a a website called Lung and Me, and it's all in Thai and the doctors provide videos. Um, It's a place where patients can go and create their own communities and learn from other patients. And that won an award actually in 2022 um, for one of the best digital health pieces of innovation in healthcare across Asia. And, you know, that's a great example where you can provide a a digital solution to, to a problem. We also look at in other markets. So for example, if I was to take you to Philippines, for example, in Philippines in breast cancer, they've developed a patient app for women with breast cancer to help provide exactly the same things, medical education. And that app is called Gabayaka. Um, I'm probably saying that wrong. But again, it's an issue because health literacy um, amongst Philippine people is a barrier to early breast cancer um, screening and detection. And essentially, it's co-designed with patients and physicians to provide basic education, to assist them, to remind them to attend certain appointments, such as mammography, um, screening. And essentially provides them um, relevant um, clinical information in a personalized way and helps keep the patient and the doctor up to date of what's going on with their, with their, with their treatment, with their screening program, etc. There's lots of different things that we, we're doing across APAC. We have an incubator um, called Creosphere which is a Roche incubator across APAC. So if anybody the podcasts Google's Creosphere, they'll probably see some problems we're trying to solve and, and startups can go on there and they can try to kind of solve those problems and then we screen them for investment. So that's something that we do. But at a country level, because we know the problems we're trying to solve, with the ecosystems and with the um, healthcare environments we serve, we do invest and we do make sure that we can address those challenges. On a a link with personalized healthcare, for example, in ophthalmology, is a new area for Roche. And we're really excited about it. In Thailand, we have an ongoing clinical trial at the moment to test a startup visual aid that comes from the UK. So this visual aid that comes from the UK can not only enhance somebody's vision that has diabetic molecular edema or enhance somebody's vision who has age molecular um where age molecular um, degeneration. So it gives them the sight, but at the same time, what we 're testing is can we test the deterioration of sight in real time? So people are using this as a visual aid to help them see, but can we also detest when you know do an ophthalmology test rather than going to the optician sorry for an eyesight test, and in real time, if we're able to detect their deterioration, then hopefully what we 'll be able to do is consult with that patient much sooner about. Do they need a titration? Do they need a different dose of, of medicine? Do they need to change therapy, for example? So that's really trying to personalize the patient experience um, at a local level. So there are many Different things that we're doing, and I think as long as it helps personalize the patient experience, as long and that could be uh, or improves their outcomes from a personalized therapy perspective, or or a digital therapy or a digital biomarker that we're looking for, then we're certainly interested. Digital health is here to stay.
0: What are your observations about the digital health market as such in? Thailand so are you monitoring what kind of startups are popping up Uh, I find it interesting that you mentioned that basically you're testing UK startup here now obviously you know startups are never built just for one country so I'm interested in hearing from you how you see that uh, you know just companies move into Thailand uh, or just expand out of Thailand
3: yeah I would say that um... Thailand specifically has a thriving healthcare um, startup ecosystem and we see a growing number of companies that are emerging to address certain challenges within let's say the healthcare sector so I think we, we're seeing more startups and you know some of those are let's say the size of the company might be two people but then we see some really promising startups that we think have some great promise so for example there's a company called Dr. Raksa, which is a big telehealth startup in Thailand. And that that fits in well because under the Thailand 4.0 strategy and the e-health strategy, Thailand really wants to support them. And in fact, they've introduced tariff rates for telehealth as well, which is a really great sign from, from the organization. So those types of things, those types of demand drivers, when a government is going to pay for a telehealth consultation and address some of those barriers, then you know that if you've got a startup with an innovation in the telehealth or telemonitoring space, that Thailand is, is ripe. From a Roche perspective, sometimes we'll do things like hackathons in a country. So we'll have a problem statement and we'll invite startups to come and address that problem statement through different types of approaches. And obviously digital is it was just one approach of sometimes addressing a problem statement. But one of the things we we sometimes see is some startups don't always have a great understanding of healthcare they have great knowledge when it comes to tech and they could have some great solutions so sometimes that a problem that doesn't matter so you know what we're interested in is is we we're very good at identifying problems that matter because we work directly with doctors we work directly with patients and we understand the challenges in terms of access and scalability of, of getting a product to market and startups obviously sometimes don't have those capabilities so you know there's usually a, a great match when somebody's got great technology understands healthcare and then we can provide obviously that that knowledge around how we can provide scale and access to the market so we do do incubations we do do hackathons and that varies across market but i would say creosphere is probably our main hub across apac at this moment There's a startup that excites me in Thailand called Ever Medical. So Ever Medical's got a great proposition. They have partnered with a lot of hospitals in the northeast of Thailand, and they've got around about 2 million healthcare records, medical records on a blockchain platform. So they're able to, for example, using that blockchain platform, provide secure access to that healthcare data for things like clinical trial recruitment. Yeah, which enables better outcomes for, for Thai patients accessing it provides a more rapid recruitment for companies like Roche when we want to do clinical trials in the company. But it's also a great way of being able to do things like outcomes based contracting, where we'd like to look at say, well, okay, a company has one, has a great drug that has this promise of a great outcome, but we'll monitor it through the platform, and we can monitor that at a patient level and then a payer or a government can pay us depending on the outcome. So it allows us to innovate, innovate around different pricing approaches as well. So having that data from blockchain opens up new different possibilities. So I think Ever Medical are quite are a great startup as well. And then actually in Thailand, one of the companies that sometimes often ask me to speak for them is a company called TechSource. Um, TechSource is um, It does podcasts, it does events, and really aimed at many different aspects of the tech community. Health is just one vertical they focus on, but they actually have a Thailand Accelerator. So they have a Thailand Accelerator for Startups or Promising Startups to help them, provide them with funding, Provide them with investments in terms of access to people like me to help with with coaching and mentoring, or to companies who want to incubate them. So, I think the startup environment in Thailand is very promising. And I think the government has a clear strategy that it sees digital then the digital economy is something that it really wants to invest in and see grow.
0: The company that you mentioned, you know, that enables easier uh, preparation and uh, recruitment of patients for clinical trials. Did you actually work uh, with them on any cases? So is this something that you just like as an idea or have you also tested it in practice too?
3: No, so we're, um, we're actually trying to look at how we can Recruit patients into clinical trials, maybe a little bit simpler mm-hmm. to identify the right patients. So we're we're exploring that with them. We have explored the ideas of doing an outcomes-based contracting model, but they don't necessarily, you know, there are 66 million patients, and then a majority of the patients access services in Bangkok. So one of the things that they have to do is try to get more electronic medical records um, from the Bangkok population because it's a entirely different demographic. But one of the things that we're hoping to do, and, and linking back to HPV um, screening, is Erosha's um, created a community called Mission Leapfrog. And for any of those listeners who are... I'm interested. We'd, we'd love more people to join Mission Leapfrog. But Mission Leapfrog basically is a group of concerned citizens who are trying to address some of the biggest healthcare challenges that we see in Thailand and the Philippines. And what we're trying to do in Thailand is we're trying to address the challenges of vulnerable elderly women in urban areas, in fact. And the WHO says that Thailand's biggest challenge is actually vulnerable, elderly women. And actually, why urban areas and why not rural areas? Well, earlier on in the podcast, I'd shared that there was these healthcare volunteers called Osamor that are readily available in the rural areas, but not in the urban areas. So actually, women in urban areas are far more vulnerable. So when we've looked at that challenge, we've actually started to partner with the National Cancer Institute around how could we drive More access to HPV screening. And because despite the government making this available last year, the uptake has been really slow. And what we're trying to do with the National Cancer Institute and some partners in the southern provinces is to test the uptake and the, um, let's say, the acceptance of self swabbing. So one of the barriers we see with women is, is that they you know often have very busy lives, don't want to go to their doctors for a HPV smear. Whereas what we've seen is we've seen a greater accessibility through some community projects of women, once educated, can just go and take a cell swab of their cervix, put it in the test tube, send it off to a lab and get their results. Now, what we're hoping to do as an experiment this year is we want to create a swabbing at home service. Now, we want to target specific women of a specific age group at a specific risk. Yeah, so we want to stratify the population of women, and then we want to target them with the education um, and approach to get them to order the cell swabbing, perform the cell swabbing, and therefore we really think we can go from screening a few hundred women a week to thousands of women a week. Now, going back to Ever Medical. Because they have a population of two million medical records and they're able to communicate directly with the patient who has that medical record, they can do this stratification of women who meet the national guidelines of women eligible for HPV screening and therefore what we're able to do then is target these women specifically with a specific message yeah to help get get access for them to HPV screening so this hopefully will be something that we can we can do with ever medical moving forward?
0: Yeah, we for certainly see a large uh, shift and uh, developments uh, with at home testing, where basically it's not about happy, having uh, rapid tests that you do on your own, as with COVID, but actually just taking samples that are then uh, checked in uh, certified uh, laboratories. I have uh, one more question, so. Thailand is positioned as the second largest economy in Southeast Asia. It has 72 million people. So I imagine it's an attractive market also for startups that are trying to enter it from other countries. How much interest do you see from companies abroad to enter Thailand and what do you see are either some of the misconceptions that they have about Thailand uh, and the digital health market, and also the culture. So what does it take to actually succeed on the market, according to your current observation?
3: That's a great question. So actually one of my other hats, other than being the um, obviously GM for Roche for Thailand is I'm also the president of the European Business Chamber. So we represent around about 130 companies um, across Europe and Thailand within that chamber. And we work very closely, obviously, with those companies to understand what some of their challenges are. And we often get new companies um, contacted us who are thinking of investing in in Thailand. One of the things I would say is is that the Board of Investment in Thailand is um, very welcoming to investment and has different incentives, depending on the technologies that you want to bring. But for example, I think in 2020, they had more than 50 applications for investments in projects, totaling $400 million in the first half of 2020. So you can see that companies do want to invest into Thailand. That Thailand has, you know, an educated workforce as well. So, and, and again, the digital enablement and digital maturity is very, very high. And I think, you know, as I say, I gave the example of fintech, there's there's multiple apps for um, e-commerce, there's multiple apps to, you know, order your lunch or your food online, much more so than I've seen in, in, in other countries. So I think that you've got a very digital savvy consumer, and then you have, obviously, companies who are providing those digital services behind. So I think Talent is there. Talent is available for companies wanting to enter. You know, we see big companies such as Agoda have their centralized office here. And Agoda is obviously one of the biggest online platforms in the world when it comes to, you know, booking your vacation or your flight. So I think we do see a very mature economy as well in Thailand. So I think that the market entry, I think, is competitive. Because you've got so many startups, but I think there's an equal playing field. Thailand has, again, it has you know it's a big country, sixty six, sixty seven million. So there's a lot of patients or people you can serve, depending on what sector you're in. And it's one of the fastest growing medical tourism hubs in the world. So from a consumer perspective, that's a, is a big element um to tap into as well. So yeah, I think Thailand is definitely open for business. I think the government is really behind the digital economy. It wants to become the world's first foremost destination for medical tourism in wellness, in medical services, um, in medical products, um and in academic activities as well. And it's made that commitment that's really really clear as well in the meetings that I have. I think bioenergy, green energy is also another huge area which Thailand wants to basically make sure they becomes world renowned in automotive is another one but digital is definitely up there when i was with the prime minister um, in november he was reiterating the investment needed and drive that he wants to make it, that drive a digital economy here in thailand
0: has anything surprised you in four years since you've been here in terms of uh, the culture and how you basically need to to operate
3: Thailand is a wonderful place to live first and foremost for any expat. You know, I think people really struggle when they, you know, they have to leave or there's many people who I talk to expats who come here and then just stay here. So I think first and foremost, it's a really great place for for families and for people to live. It is paradise. The food is great. So that, that's really great. So you don't struggle to try and attract talent into the country, which is first and foremost. I think Thai culture is, um, again, very welcoming and people are very kind very helpful very supportive and i think that the people that have worked in worked in asia sometimes being able to understand the the cultural differences in terms of how people kind of respond or or, or hierarchy exists in thailand as well so respect is a, is a big big thing culturally as well so for companies which maybe are startups have you know younger leaders where hierarchy is not Much of an issue. Um, Again, you have to also understand the environment you're working in, and and when you're working with different companies, has there been anything surprised me? I think there's probably been lots of things, uh, Jasha, but I think um, everything's been a pleasant surprise. Yeah, you know, I thoroughly enjoy working here. I, as I say, I think one of the things I love working in, in the region is because of the people that you get to work with. I think one of the things that surprises me is is despite all of the innovation that I see in Thailand and all of the great things they do, is you still have these massive health inequalities. Yeah, you still have this low investment in healthcare. You still have less access to innovative um, medicines than, than you see in other low-middle-income countries. And um, That, for me, is, is something that we fight for every single day to try and address. Mm.
0: You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health, a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast, subscribe to the show, or follow us on LinkedIn. Additionally, check out our newsletter. You can find it at FODH.substack.com. That's FODH.substack.com. Stay tuned.